Good morning, afternoon, evening, or night, listener, and welcome back to Dancing Around the Questions. What do Ireland and Cuba have in common? Feel free to send in your responses, but in the meantime, we can be pretty sure that they have a much larger influence in world culture relative to their size. And that is just one of the many things we're going to cover today um, with our guest Janie of River City Rella. Uh, and one quick sidebar before we get going, I promise I'm going to get to some people who are primarily leads in the near future um so be on the lookout for those episodes but in the meantime please enjoy our winding conversation and here's janie okay we're live i think so welcome to dancing around the questions this is the first time i'm doing it with a stimulant substance in the form of coffee we'll see how that makes this recording go coffee and probably more sugar than you usually put in it <laughs> more sugar um a full lunch and being frazzled by my own incompetence having to have or having to have reinstalled all of the software and set everything up i'm only running more than an hour late so good start great start all right <laughs> Our guest today is uh, Janie. Hi. Janie Guillen of the Richmond's River City Rather fame, and I'm sure many other things which we'll cover today. I don't know if fame is the word we go with, but sure. Yeah, well, it's, it's what I'm going with right now. So how are you doing right now? Good. Same coffee problem, but good. We've been drinking coffee for about an hour, probably getting all the computer stuff set up. Yeah, I, I took a little bit, way, a little bit, uh, way too long um, with all of my other non-podcasting stuff in the morning. So we'll see how this turns out. Also, I am very much more self-conscious of me talking after editing a couple of episodes. I've instructed Janie to hit me with a broken glass bottle every time I say, um, like, so, mm, ah, uh, and all that sort of stuff that I will now hear having to cut all of it out. I will do my best. So let's get started. Janie, when... No, I have to start off with a completely unrelated question, as is tradition. Okay. Hmm. Did you eat breakfast today? Yes. What did you eat for breakfast? I had a sausage, egg, and cheese bagel. That sounds phenomenal. That I parallel parked to get, because I just learned how to, how to parallel park about three days ago. Snaps. Snaps all around. Well, congratulations. You definitely earned that. Yep, that was... I'm, I'm an adult, but working on about a 16-year-old level of life skills. So parallel parking, got it down, can now buy my own food. Excellent. Where'd you get it from? Stir Crazy, yeah. Northside. I haven't been there in a while. It's, it's been my goal good. is to learn how to parallel park specifically so I could go there. Yeah, and now I'll, we're there. Yeah, I'll have to check them out again before too long now that we're done with that very important question unrelated no but very important that's how we get into things tell us about when you started dancing um dancing in general yes i in started general. ballet when i was five 
because I had um, scoliosis runs in my family and my mom was really worried about it. So she wanted me in something where I would be taught, you know, encourage proper posture, encourage correct bone growth and all that stuff. Um, and I was also born early enough that muscle development w was an issue. So I wasn't good at ballet, but I was there for more medical reasons than dance enjoyment reasons, but I did like it. Um, and then because of said muscle issues around the time I was in high school, I'd been doing point shoes for a few years. The muscle issues came back to bite me and you can't dance point if you were born early enough that your tendons didn't develop properly. So I was looking for a different kind of dance to get into, and my, one of my Spanish teachers had been teaching us some dance steps in class, and I responded well to it because I've always liked music, and that was kind of the end for Latin dance, that we had been learning about um, salsa and bachata in class, and one of my teachers recommended that I find a class. So I was, I was probably 16 or 17 when that happened. And um, what dances was he teaching you in that case? He or she. I she was doing very casual, but mostly mostly salsa, basic, very basic steps for salsa, bachata, and merengue. But I, that was, um, yeah. She's a, she actually has a band in Richmond that has does not do dance music. So I was kind of surprised to find out that she has all that going on separately. So what do they do then? They do Portuguese um, fado oh, music. Oh, it's her. Yeah. Oh, fado nosso. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's it was really nice. Got to check them out one time at a blues, like blues cafe. I think so. Say? Yeah. What do what do you cons? What's the name of the place called again? I don't remember. It was years ago. It's right next to the national. It was. It's the basement of the place next to the national, and I remember there was a rabbit on the sign. Couldn't tell you what the name of the place was. Okay, I'm gonna edit that into the podcast because okay. if you, the listener, ever get a chance to check it out, they have a, a very nice performance basins i guess yeah got a, i got an old-fashioned that night it was paired perfectly with the music it was good and that's a huge tangent but yeah it turns out that my high school spanish teacher is a really talented singer in three languages and the dancing for fun in class was just a side thing but obviously lots of music influence in my spanish classes and i come from a music background already so that kind of pushed me into that style of dance it was a very long way of getting there. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we're, we're all glad that happened. Now, I, I know a little bit more about your, like, dance overall history compared to um, some of the other people I've spoken to so far. But then you started getting into salsa and bachata, like, after she introduced that to you all. And where did it continue from there? What was the next point? So the classes that I signed up for were with the Latin Ballet, which I know some... He hasn't lived here in a while, but some people might remember um, Yamil, who used to teach with the Latin Ballet. So that was my first actual salsa teacher. Um, while he was, teaches in class, Casino and Rueda, if, you, if you're dancing with him at a party or more casual instruction, he's blending styles a lot because his kind of training was more casual street dancing. So you get a little bit of a lot of things. But um, principally, what I've learned has been Casino and Rueda. Yeah, but uh, at the same time, it, it kind of makes sense to blend all these things together because the, I mean, they they call the music salsa if you want to call it salsa, and it is a mm. there's there's an anthropological term that I'm forgetting at the moment, but it's a mix of blended, 
It's a blended, blended blob of different <laughs> genres of music from Spain and from the African traditions. And so it makes sense if you're dancing a whole bunch of different things put together when when you're socializing. Yeah, I, d- I didn't realize for years that um, themba music was specifically for the dance that I had already learned because we kind of, he liked popular music, so we would dance, you know, what uh, we, Mark Anthony songs or, um, you know, DLG does have some that are that lend themselves more to Cuban, mm-hmm. but we would, any just popular salsa song or timba, we didn't really learn a difference because he just liked party music, which, you know, that's what you do as an instructor a lot is just kind of try to get people into it. And if that means, you know, whatever songs will kind of hype people up the most. And it was years later that I was like, oh, this music is specifically for what I know how to do. Okay. I don't know if that relates to any question you were asking, but I, I think <laughs> it does, but I'm also forgetting right now. Again, we'll, yeah, we'll all have to hear all this. This interview is going to have a lot of like cycles because you already know most of this. I, I know some of it. I'm sure I haven't like had it all put together in front of me yet. Yeah. Well, how did you feel about when you were learning all these dances then? Huh? How many layers do you want? All of them. So I, so I was the kind of teenager who would leave in the morning for school and come home generally without having spoken during the day. And I really liked the music. My dad's a trombone player. And I, outside of salsa music, have been strings, you know, kind of folk guitar, violin, so not really related to the music that my dad plays, which has always been kind of like a, not sore point, but we're both very musical people and just have not overlapped at all. So me really being, starting to get into salsa and timba and music that has strong brass sections like that was kind of a way that I could share that interest with my dad, that, you know, I'm interested in learning Spanish, I'm listening to music to learn Spanish. My dad does not speak Spanish at all. But he appreciate he really liked the music that I was listening to, um, so that was like kind of step one. Step two, very socially awkward child, did not speak even as a teenager, almost an adult, did not speak to people, and Yamil, my instructor, kind of picked up really quickly on the fact that I kind of needed a push for social interactions. So, and I was, I don't know why that class was open actually. In all honesty, my first class. The first year that I took lessons, it was just me and I think one, two other students that were a married couple. And that was it. That class probably shouldn't have happened. I don't know how they, I don't know how they justified having a class with so few people in it. What was the title of this class? I don't remember. It was the, it was the Latin Ballet's um, Rueda class. So they had one. You were starting off with Rueda at the Latin Ballet. Yeah. So that was, um, let me see. They ha- they've always had a solid core of classes at the Glen Allen Arts Center, and I was taking classes downtown, which I didn't. I don't even know if they teach if they teach there anymore. But the, I it was me and one married couple in the class. It probably shouldn't have existed in the first place. It was such a small class, but they kind of zeroed in on the fact that okay, this child needs to learn how to interact with people. So he because it was such a small class could kind of focus in on how do we get this child to loosen up? How do we get this child to trust people? And that kind of became 
part of the dance exercise for me was dance as partner dance and social dance as kind of a social exercise of interacting with people and trusting people and reading people and, okay, aware of what my body language is. Am I giving someone the impression that I'm terrified and want them to leave me alone when that's not the case? And all those other things that kind of, once you're social dancing and partner dancing, become important. So that, again, I don't remember what the question actually was, but that was what, those were the things that were kind of on my mind the first kind of maybe two years and plus of dancing was learning how to interact with people, which I was kind of behind the curve on and kind of getting into the music because that was a way that I could kind of overlap my musical interests with my dad's musical interests. Well, yeah, that's all relevant to what I okay, asked. Good. <laughs> what keeps you involved nowadays? We, we might get back to, and I'll like splice together the, the continued origin stories, but just so we have something. Nowadays, like Corona nowadays or post awkward well, child? Pre. Well, we can start with post awkward child. So you, you learned how to socialize as a yeah. social a little bit older than I should have. Mammal. Maybe, yeah, maybe a little older. And mm -hmm. I completely relate to that because if it hadn't been for, uh, if it hadn't been for something completely unrelated to dancing, then maybe I'll talk about my own at some point. I wouldn't have had the social skills to do any of this. Um, but, but I completely understand that. You, now you know how to socialize with people. What was the next step? Just enjoying it. I, I'm i still not the most social person on the planet, and probably anyone who's interacted with me off the dance floor knows that already. But um, it's, kind of, it's good. It's still the easiest way for me to kind of meet people and interact with people that I don't know well. So for someone who's not great at making small talk or getting to know people, um, being able to dance with someone and establish kind of that comfort level and then, you know, talk to people on the way out from the social, see them, see them the next week at Havana and be able to talk to them again is a more comfortable way to kind of get there for someone who's not good at small talk. So that still applies. Um, I'm better at all of that now, but that definitely the comfort level of dancing versus not dancing and having to meet new people is still there. Um, but I've, I like the music a lot. I've gotten a lot more into the different subgenres. Um, and like I said, I was very interested in music before. I just wasn't as able to focus on the music as much as the dance. Yeah. But I, I love most of the music that we dance to, um, especially focusing on Cuban music. We get to kind of blend a lot of music in my class. We can get away with using salsa music or timba or son. And I love all of those genres. Mm. And I really love... So this has been a sticking point in my house in quarantine, and it's a tangent. I'm really sorry. I really love old Dominican bachata songs. Like, the more high-pitched and kind of tinny the guitar is, the better. The more tragic and cheesy the breakup lyrics are, the better. Like, I love that. And my husband, who, grew, who not grew up with that, but grew up, you know, hearing that sometimes, is not about it. And that's been definitely been a quarantine sticking point on our playlist. <laughs> I'm going to have to hear some of these songs. I, I knew like bachata wasn't always uh, this really sexy Romeo Santos thing. Also love Romeo Santos. Oh, he's a, he's a great songwriter and, and singer and all that. Like 2000 and 
eight-ish aventura. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. All right, so the music has been the the thing that's resonated with you. Yeah. With the most. And a good way to connect. Um, dancing to music seems to me to be a really good way to connect kind of different things. And I like listening to the music, movement, social kind of interactions of dancing, all of those things being able to kind of come together in one activity is really special. Yeah, definitely. It, um, it's, it's a different way of experiencing the music that I d didn't think about until it was just like, it, it was just happening naturally. Yeah. Right. Well, let's move on to different communities, dance communities that you might have been a part of. So different dance communities, if this makes any sense, um, very, very broadly, I'm so sorry, this is going to be terrible. Um, I think that the like very broad differences in communities is the people that do shows versus more social dancers? Yes, this is. I think this. I think up. Richmond is already pretty blended. I know a lot of places talk about um, people who grew up with these dances versus people who learned them in classes. I already think that Richmond, Richmond's dance scene is pretty blended. A lot of people grew up with dances and then w go to classes anyway just to kind of see, check it out. You know, is there anything that could help them with social dancing? A lot of people start with classes and then learn it more informally. I kind of got both at the same time. Obviously, as a ballet dancer of almost 15 years, I tend to, the way that I look at dance tends towards the more, you know, performance-based and stricter um, systems. But also because, as I said, the class that I started taking was very small. Um, while I was taking that class, I would say a good half of my Latin dance education ended up being at backyard parties with the other students in the class. So like learning, you know, I was learning in a, like, in a dance studio, but also half of what I was learning was dancing with someone's grandpa in their backyard or someone's aunt and uncle or where, wherever. So I kind of got both sides of that. So I think that that's the bigger different communities. I'm so sorry for the editing that's going to have to happen here. I don't know <laughs> that that's all stuff I've thought about and other people have thought about. It's like mm -hmm. different cultures. Yeah. And I, I think that that's the bigger, I move between those. I'm not going to say easily, but I, again, my dance perspective is very much both of those things. The purely social, it is for parties. It's for interacting with people. It's for casual dancing um, and then also the performance-based, wanting to practice, wanting to, you know, have a routine. And we've managed to do both. We did a cup. I think we can probably count on one hand the number of performances that we did. Mm. But we're starting to kind of get to doing both. But I think that that's the bigger divide of dance communities in Richmond, which I've lost a little bit of the performance aspect just because I enjoy socials more right now. <laughs> But there, there is, there's room for overlap between like you learning to execute a performance move mm -hmm. and dancing just like socially or at a backyard party because you'll learn technique from doing performances and it'll just be ingrained in muscle memory, assuming that's a 
leadable move, you'll then have one more little trick to put on your your social dancing book. Right. And I think I think a lot of the Richmond instructors are very aware of that. So I know, for example, I'm just gonna the people that are still in Richmond that I have taken lessons with. Um, I go to salsa connections classes sometimes because they always had the studio, the class right before mine for several years. So sometimes it was worth showing up an hour early, hour and a half early to just take the class before mine. And I think that they do a really good job of teaching routines, but with advice and with tips that will still apply to social dancing. Mm -hmm. So they're teaching, and I know they have a performance team, so they are teaching performance dance, but they're not teaching in a way that won't apply to social dance. Mm -hmm. I think they do a good job of that. And I know Boris also, I've, um, back when I was in college, Boris used to teach at the VCU gym. And I think Boris also would always give me really good tips on how I was following as far as, you know, improvised dance, you know, casual social dance. What is the lead trying to tell me? And also if you were going to be in a performance, what angle is your arm going at? How are you hitting that pose? So I think that I, I think a lot of Richmond instructors are aware of both communities and do a pretty good job of giving advice that applies to both. Yeah. But that was, again, very long. And those are the people in Richmond that are still in Richmond that I have taken lessons with. Very big sidebar again. Unrelated, well, not unrelated to salsa, but um, Claves Unidos out of Dogtown. Yeah. Kevin Lamar Jones, if you have not seen him or danced with him before, Um, does a great class that, again, is performance-based but very focused on kind of spontaneous dance. And he does a lot of stuff that he does do routines, but a lot of his classes are very focused on relaxing, understanding what kinds of movement go with this music, but not you have to do exactly this for this song. So I think that's another good, you know, not as much social dancing, but I know a lot of people who go social dancing in Richmond also go to his classes. If you have not, highly recommend check him out. But another good kind of example of a place to where the instructor is aware of trying to mix, you know, practicing dance, but also trying to get you relaxed enough to just socially and casually dance. And what I'm trying to say is Richmond is a small enough town that I think that we have areas of different communities, but I think that we blend pretty well. Yeah. Like it's definitely... Hmm. I'll draw a graph of what I'm thinking about right now because it's hard to describe <laughs> it, but it's like there's a it's a big core of people who dance and then there it looks like a flower where there are like little rings on the outside and right. some of them veer off more into like the this is the bachata circle, this is the salsa circle, this is the zook circle, um, like even like swing dancing and yeah. other non-Latin genres. But there will be some overlap between like this core and yeah. all of those other things. So you, you can definitely dabble. In, in the gigantic Venn diagram spider of Richmond dance communities, none, none of them are completely unconnected. Yeah. Or they'll, they'll have at least some secondary connection. Yeah. Like through swing, through souk, through bachata, through right. this. There we go. You know what I meant. Yeah. Still going to draw it out if I remember. And having to edit this myself, I will remember. Yeah. We're probably gonna, you're probably going to have to change the order of a lot of answers and questions in here. This will be a fun one to go through. All right. And now, just to make sure this computer is working again, I'll do my traditional 
We'll be right back after this short break. So having had a, a moment to organize some of the other thoughts I want to go over, you mentioned the like the social difficulties in like starting off with dancing and then just like in continuing and learning. What other what other challenges were there to just like your dance education, your your uh, journey here? Um, coming from ballet, I like to not move more than one or two parts of my body at a time. And I like everything to be very straight lines and toes to be pointed. So even about 10 years, I guess almost 10 years into the Latin dance and social dance journey, I will sometimes find myself needing to relax my shoulders, not pointing my foot. I know that, that that's something I still do, which is teaching has been a little bit of a challenge because I kind of have to I have to say, do as I'm saying, not as I'm doing more often than I'd like. You know, this is the step. Relax your shoulders. Mine don't do that yet. <laughs> so that's the probably the challenge I'm most aware of still. Then also ballet. I never got high enough in ballet to be doing, you know, and there are, there are, I don't know, partner dances kind of that you can do in ballet, obviously rehearsed. But a lot of the same things apply of, you know, reading your partner and having to kind of a lot of the same body language and leading and following still applies, even though it is rehearsed, but I never got there. So having to not back lead, going from a very individual focused dance to, you know, you and your partner is how the dance is going to go. I definitely, it definitely took me a few years to learn how to do that. Um, which Yamil used to have me dance blindfolded, which I have not done to my students yet, but that but was, should at some point do. <laughs> That was my, like, well, you're going to trust me or you're going to hit the wall because you can't see. So that that worked. I mean, again, I haven't done that to my students, but I thought it was fun and it worked for me. We had a really, really big space for our salsa club at William & Mary. And unfortunately, I think we only did this one time, but we did do a night where, like, for, for the small group of people who wanted to do it, you could put on a blindfold and be led around. And I think... Also put on a blindfold and then lead other people around. Your, your partner could, of course, communicate with you if you're straying too far from the center and about to walk into the glass windows. Yeah. We'll see. Well, let's move on to something completely different because this Meow. is... I researched my guest very thoroughly. Not at all. I just happened <laughs> to know this. But uh, you've brought up your Irish heritage here and there. Lucky Charms just rained down from the ceiling. <laughs> the bottle of Guinness popped somewhere in the kitchen. And we're recording this the week of St. Patrick's Day. Yes. <laughs> so it's it's all perfect. I planned this perfectly. I wanted to ask about Irish dance and music and if that's had any sort of influences on you. Definitely. Oh, we're doing, okay, we're going down. Every single question is going to be a rabbit hole. I love rabbit holes. Okay. Like this is, so the, these are fun to edit because I get to dive into them twice and think more. So Irish music has definitely been a huge part of my fam of my family growing up. I mentioned earlier that both of my parents are musicians. Um, and Irish music isn't what either of them plays for performances, but they both listen to a lot of it. Um, they sing a lot of it at home. Um, I think my dad's the only person I know that has a lot of 
Irish CDs. So like, especially now, like the past two weeks leading up to St. Patrick's Day, my dad has all of his Irish folk music CDs out. It's just fiddle, um, tin flute, and the, I'm not going to try to say it because I'm not going to say it right, but there's a specific name for Irish, the Irish version of bagpipes, which I think is called William Pipes. I can't read Gaelic. I know how to spell it, but I don't know how to say it. But those, um, it's a very particular combination that I know that not, is not pleasant to everybody. It's what my childhood sounded like. I love it. But, so that's what I play on the violin when I play, which I haven't in a while. Um, and that's the music that I grew up listening to and singing and trying to play. Not dancing, because my family are very strictly not dancers. I'm very much the black sheep of the family in that respect. Um, but the, here's where the rabbit hole goes. If anyone knows what contra dancing is, it is, it's been described as the East Coast more version of square dancing. So it's some influence of Native American dances, some influence of Scotch and Irish folk dances, um, kind of blended in something that is... They have a group in Richmond that does it somewhere in the Lewis Ginter area. And something that is interesting about that, to me at least, is, again, going back to my, my old dance teacher, um, Yamil married a girl from Kentucky who grew up doing clogging. So that already was, now he's having to listen to music that's closer to what I grew up with, because a lot of um, bluegrass music is kind of descended from Irish, oh, hit the microphone is kind of descended from Irish and Scottish folk music. So now my Rueda teacher is having to listen to, you know, my music. And she took him contra dancing, and we kind of all went several times. And to me, it was kind of, oh, this is sort of square dancing, which I don't know how to do, but the music, a lot of it is slightly kind of bluegrassified. Not, it's not quite bluegrass what they use for contra dancing. But, um, and you'll, you can tell that I grew up without the, like, formal education of all this music I just grew up with the music because I don't know what anything is called but the music for contra dancing a lot of it is Irish melodies just without the lyrics or with different lyrics just reworked and they have a collar which is how rueda works for anyone who doesn't know rueda is um, where you dance in a circle someone calls out the steps so that everyone knows what to do together and for contra dancing which is this American dance with a lot of Irish folk roots. They also have a collar. You change partners. You kind of go in a circle. And um, Yamil loved it. And he took his whole Cuban family, um, his mom, who didn't speak English very well at the time, and she still had a great time. And he kept calling it um, it Square Dance Rueda. (laughs) Because that was, for him, like that was, he'd found, you know, the kind of dance that kind of blended what he grew up with and what his wife grew up with. So for me also, learning, being in the middle of learning Rueda at the time, but with that being my musical background, that was kind of funny. That was a, obviously not connection because they're not related styles of dance, but that was a kind of blend area that I hadn't really thought of before. Mm-hmm. That's a huge rabbit hole. I'm going to apologize no, after every question. that's totally okay. And it's something I've thought about too, how there there are subcultures or just like, let's say straight up cultures in the U.S. where they'll have like the singing and dancing tradition mm-hmm. like the, this contra dancing thing and i mean like people who who have that will, will have um salsa and bachata and 
Rather and all all that stuff, but it's it's not something you see in every culture. So it's cool that you happen to have these two completely different cultural connections that had something in common. Yeah, they overlap in a weird, again unrelated. It's not like they come from the same styles, but the fact that they do have some style overlap and contradancing already for me was, um, you know, not exactly the Irish stuff that I grew up with but not so far off that it's not. So it, just every, everything blends eventually. That's the world we live in. That's, and it has... Nah, never mind. That was going to be another rabbit hole. Okay. But yeah, that's the world we live in. Out, I can always cut out rabbit holes. Now that was going to be a music history rabbit hole that we'll uh, probably get to later. We, we might end up having like repeat episodes, or not repeat episodes, but repeat guests where I'll dive into one of these rabbit holes so we'll see if that happens in the future i'll try to make it so but i also want to interview many people hopefully this this goes on and i'm able to do all that all right favorite dance style it has to be uh, hold on i'm a big believer in different dance styles for different moods um, I would yes. never, like, I would never call myself a bachata dancer, but like the past week or two, I've been doing a lot of solo midnight bachata while washing dishes. Um, no formal son training. Well, a little tiny bit of formal son training, but that's, I love that dance. Casino, which I don't really do often, is probably my favorite dance just because that's what I learned first. And that is still, even though that's not really what I teach in my class. And because I don't teach it to my students, that's not really what I dance anymore. Because if I had taught it, then I would still be able to dance it more often. That's still what feels like the most natural to me and the most comfortable. Even though it's not what I do as much anymore. So we'll go with Casino. My favorite too. And I'm in a lot of the same boat because I had taken, I'll say like one and a half semesters worth of courses before I moved down to Richmond. Um, so I have a little bit of that remaining but it's not something I am able to really pass on quite yet. I need to do more training and learn to dance more. Right, and it's hard to market, which I think is why um, Yamil called his class Cuban Salsa. Yeah, it, it's hard to market because... It's not quite salsa. And, and it, it, it really isn't, though. It, it, isn't. Doesn't, it doesn't feel the same when you're dancing yeah. versus salsa. But because the music is so similar, or you can just straight-up dance casino to salsa music... It's hard to get people to, it's hard to persuade people to, hey, this is a different dance. No, it's yeah. not. It's it's salsa dancing. You're dancing it to salsa music. Yeah, and the further you get from salsa, people kind of start to lose interest. So what we teach in River State Rueda classes is kind of Cuban salsa rueda. So you could do it with a partner or without a partner. And you also teach with me. So I'm not telling you this. I'm just for the sake of the podcast audience. But we don't do casino steps. We do um, a version where you can do it with the rueda, which casino can also be done in the rueda. But not. But the step that we use, the kind of base steps that we use are much closer to salsa because people are more comfortable with it. People are more likely to come back to lessons. Um, casino is different enough that it's very hard to get people to want to do it unless they're really up for an adventure which most people just aren't yeah but i think 
I mean, if we just knew it better, it would probably be easier for us to. Yeah. I think it'll have its time. I think that, and a lot of people, a lot of dancers that I've talked to recently are kind of overwhelmed with genres. Like they're trying to learn salsa, but they also want to focus on bachata and they also really want to focus on zouk and they also really want to learn kazumba. And people are feeling like they have to like take time off, which I, I, everything I do outside of work is music related. Half of what I do at work is music related. So I can't imagine doing this and having it make sense. But I did talk to several people who were going, oh, I'm not going to do any salsa. I'm not going to dance salsa at all for six months because I'm only going to focus on Batata and Zouk. And then once I feel like I've really got those down, I'm going to take six months off from Zouk so I can like bring up my salsa again. It just about never happens and, is the thing. Like people will yeah. end up picking one. And that's just, that's natural. You have a hobby and you, yeah. you really like this hobby and you want to do it. So I think that if Casino, and I think that we were talking about this a couple months. I don't remember when, but at some point we were talking about this, that the trends in salsa music are probably going to go more towards timba yes, in the next several years. Yes, it's something that came up when I was listening to Mambo Dinamico. Mm -hmm. that, that group had a, a lecture one, like a Friday night. This is what I was doing on a Friday night last summer before. I was right, I was right there with you. <laughs> before we could um, see people. The, in the midst of the pandemic, I was listening to that and just bringing up how how some of these things that I guess Cuban bands have been doing since the '90s are probably going to creep into more like American salsa music. Mm -hmm. So I think Casino will have its time because I think people kind of want to focus on so kind of salsa bachata merengue is the kind of trifecta of basics, and then people want to kind of take a break to focus on Zouk or to focus on Kisumba or whatever other dance they kind of want to learn and add to it. And I think that as the music styles start to change and Casino starts to make more sense, it might be easier to introduce it in the next few years. We'll get there. Yeah. Our, our day will come. Yeah, we're, we're working our way up to just being able to move our bodies again after a year on the couch. Yeah, for real. <laughs> New topic. Favorite dance experience whether it be a festival a performance a a particular social it's a really hard question i resent it um I, that's <laughs> usually one of the fun ones for everyone uh um i like i mm, huh. okay let's see favorite dance experience as far as just like standing out in memory is probably the very first time i went social dancing that was not at someone's house was um again you may there i don't know how many people want to call out by name on this because i keep saying the other the married couple that also took lessons with me i know you know who i'm talking about i don't know if they want to be like named publicly for everyone i don't know but well you can send this podcast to them so that i have a couple extra listeners <laughs> you know, the day that i graduated from high school they took me to havana and yamil i was definitely not 18 yet um, and I definitely was taken into places that were 21 and up while I was in college as well, because nobody, nobody questioned Yamil. Um, there was just, I think there were just several years where just no one questioned that Yamil showed up places with a little white kid and everyone was like, all right, I guess she's coming in. <laughs> so that I was 17. I'd never been out social dancing before because I was 17 and there weren't Back then, I think the Richmond dance scene was just kind of starting to grow. 
So there weren't nearly as many places hosting socials as there are now. There weren't nearly as many instructors as there are now. That makes it sound like it was a really long time ago, but it wasn't. Um, about almost 10 years ago. <laughs> Yikes. All right. So yeah. So there's our timeline. That was amazing because I'd never been out before. Um, social dancing was some, was fun, obviously. And it was, I mean, the scene was perfect. I just graduated from high school that day. I was so pumped up. Um, they, I was being babysat. I did not have alcohol. I think I had a Coke or something. But, you know, being on the Havana balcony, looking out over Richmond with the music playing and dancing, that was like my first experience with that. So that one stands out probably. That makes sense. Even though that probably wasn't my best dancing because I was still relatively new to it. But A lot of the time, your best dancing might not happen to, at Havana depending on what kind of night you want. So yeah. that is totally okay. Now that I am old enough to not have to drink Coke at Havana, I don't know that my best dancing happens at Havana still either. Let's see. I don't know that I've had a particularly bad dance experience. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoy social dancing. For everything that I said about being socially awkward and it being really hard, to, I, I really enjoy social dancing. There is one um, one story you've told that I want to share if you want to share. All right, well, well you'll, you'll be the one sharing it. But. I was gonna say, we'll see, and then you can edit it out if I don't like it. So you mentioned one time Yamil packed you and a couple of people up in a car and said, hey, we're <laughs> going to go to this place. Is this the Baltimore story? I think it's the Baltimore okay. story. All right. So, <laughs> okay, here we go. At VCU, so this is, I was still a VCU student. I think everyone involved was a VCU student or VCU adjacent. Um, so he was teaching lessons out of the VCU gym and at the Latin Ballet, but he took his VCU group to a convention of some kind in Baltimore I don't know what was happening again I was like 19 I slept most of the way in the car I was the youngest person there by far um and so he had a friend who had a Cuban band and they'd been hired to be the entertainment at dinner for some kind of business convention and they wanted dancers so it was probably about six of us I think it was exactly six of us went up um we got paid. It was my first paid dance gig. It was nice. Um, we went up. We performed. It was fine. I didn't know this at the time because I was essentially a child and just kind of oblivious to a lot of things. But one of the other people in our group had checked the cards on the tables. And according to her, all of the names of the companies were double entendres. So we may... It, I don't know what the event was, but... What we all think is that it was a convention for um, sex toy companies. I guess like the business end of it, because everyone there hey, looked... Business end. <laughs> <laughs> everyone there looked really normal. It was just a bunch of old people in suits. But yeah, apparently all of the names on the... All the company names were double entendres. So apparently it was sex toy company marketing people or something. Or there was just a weird theme going on that day, night, whatever time of day it was. And then... So that we performed at dinner, it went well. Again, at this point, we were just, you know, performing. The band was amazing. I always love live bands. Um, and then, in the same hotel, there was a high school hosting their prom. And none of the men in our group 
had grown up in the U.S. They were all relatively recent arrivals to the U.S. None of them had been to a prom ever. And I think just a cultural thing, it didn't occur to them that the age would be a big deal. That you cannot, as a grown man, go into a dance party full of children. So their kind of response was, ooh, I've never, my high school didn't have a prom because I didn't go to high school here. Let's go check it out. It sounds fun. And we were there for a good, I would say, it wasn't way too long, but we were probably in there for 10 minutes. Um, the three guys that we were with went in to check it out, and me and the other two girls went in to try to pull them out. It did not was not successful. And then we were asked to leave by security, and that was that. It was having to explain to the guys in the car ride home that, yeah, you snuck into a, a event full of 17-year-olds, and that's not, you know, you didn't intend to be creepy, but that was perceived as creepy. That's why I told you not to. Um, I fell asleep on the car on the way home. We pulled over behind a gas station and I was handed an envelope with a hundred bucks in it. And that okay. was the sketchiest <laughs> night of my life. <laughs> it was probably heard... not the sketchiest night of my life, but yeah, that's how we got paid. Hadn't heard that part, but that sounds <laughs> fantastic. I kind of, after getting kicked out of the hotel, I kind of forgot we were going to get paid. And yeah, I was woken up. We had pulled over behind a gas station somewhere on 95 and just hand, handed an envelope of cash. So... I don't know. I don't. I also think that it's very possible that my friend and his friend, the band leader, may not have been on speaking terms after that stunt. Because I think that the band got kicked out because of us too. Oh no! So we we performed at what was probably a sex toy company business convention, and then got kicked out of the hotel for bad behavior. It's the only time I've ever been asked to leave a place. Um, and then I got paid behind a gas station. Weird night. But memorable. Yeah, except for the part where I was asleep, apparently. Makes sense. And to wrap things up in this last little segment, I'll do two quote-unquote rapid-fire questions that have not always been rapid-fire as I've spoken to people because the only thing dancers might like talking about or doing more than dancing is talking about dancing. So the first rapid fire question, which is a little on the more negative side again, but not as serious. Pet peeves. Definitely when people are too forceful with social dance that, you know, people trying to lead body roles that follows aren't ready for, which again, I won't hold it against the person if they learn to not do that later, but it definitely ruins the dance for definitely ruins the dance for the follow. Or and I don't lead at socials as often, but same way follows being too forceful. You know, I'm not trying to lead that. I don't know why you're doing this. But more more so, with, I've been in the position of being a follow that's having a forced body role led or been pulled into a close position I wasn't comfortable with. So that like that ruins a dance. Not a lot of other things ruin a dance. Although in the same line of kind of being a little bit too heavy handed and well, it's not you're not doing the dance the right way if you don't do it this way. People who stop in the middle of a social dance to instruct you through a step. Social dancing and, you know, lesson dancing are separate for a reason. And at 11.30 p.m. at whatever place, let's say Aloft, you know, I've had three drinks. I'm not here for a lesson. I'll come to a lesson later. I want to learn the step you're trying to teach me, but not at a social. That's definitely a bigger, that's definitely probably more of a pet peeve than the, um, 
forced leading thing. Yeah, critique on the dance floor is a little bit annoying. Yeah. Even on my end. I, I know I'm sloppy sometimes, but eh. give me a break. Yeah. And that's, there are some pointers. I've definitely, and I have to be careful as a teacher saying this, because sometimes people who have just been to one of my classes will see me at a social want to dance with me, and they're asking me questions that they're trying to do a step that I just taught them the day before and they're asking me did I do it right which hand is this is this is this a step or b step that we just learned or which one is this did I do it right and that having just said that the social is not the place for a lesson again at a social that's not what I'm there for but I also since that person was just at one of my lessons and is kind of seeing me as their dance instructor I don't want to discourage that so that's that's not a like oh my god you're a terrible person why are you doing this to me but i think the line between socials and more formal dance can be blurred a little bit but i try to avoid it and a lot of it is that you kind of have to go to a social to practice in the first place yeah so there's learning going on on the dance floor but you don't want it to be a whole lecture or a whole right formal thing and we're not rehearsing so if you make mm -hmm. me keep doing the same step again and again until I do it the way you wanted me to. And it's not what I'm here for. Yeah. But yeah, again, and, and having been on the other side of that where a student is asking me, oh, is, did I do it right? Is it this way? Is this what you were trying to teach us yesterday? Again, not what I'm at the social for, but I understand. Moving on from that, but kind of along the same thread, what are some of your favorite moves or like category of, of steps? And wh like whatever dance style you choose. Mm, this is a really hard question to answer in an audio medium. Um, at socials, I know I've said several times that I'm not a very good bachata dancer, but I love a good just basic bachata. I'm, I'm not good at sensual. I've said probably enough times that the broken bottle rule applies, but I can't body roll to save my life. Um, but... I like a nice bachata. That's a good, that's a good start, middle, or end to a social. Um, salsa is a little bit hard for me to kind of quantify, just because there's so many blurred lines between like what style is actually my style. Mm -hmm. So linea is not my style. Obviously, I follow it a lot because that's what most leads do at socials, um, and it's still fun. I still enjoy it, even if it's not my style to dance. Um, I. I think I really like just a nice closed position basic in any dance. And Rueda or Casino, Abajo, it's kind of a nice, if that works. But in any dance, I think just if you're kind of closed position basic, whichever basic kind of step you're doing works nicely, that's when you can tell if you're going to have a good dance yeah. or not. Yeah, that's a, that's a good thought, actually. If you're very comfy with your partner just from that, and like not even necessarily really close to them, but if you guys mm -hmm. just have a really good connection from that, closed position then it's often a good indication of this is going to be pleasant yeah and you can get a feel for the person's musicality from that um several songs that have kind of a dip in the music in the middle before it gets hype again if the person switches back to a, to a kind of softer closed position step during that that like that's really nice mm -hmm. something one of um one of my other guests brought up was thinking of dance as a conversation between two people 
and when you're when you're in close position it's it's really nice having that conversation with somebody like it, it builds yeah. chemistry between you guys even like you're not doing like a really intimate dance like bachata or like an embrace zook dance right but it's still very nice to do it when it feels comfy yeah it's and it's kind of the getting to know you part of the conversation if you're starting in closed position to you know that only kind of only casino starts in closed position but I mean, you can start salsa in closed position too yeah i think a lot of the a lot of times where you might start there is just depends on the music if you're starting with a song that's starting very chill and starting this nice close thing if you're, uh, but if you're starting with a let's say you're starting with aguanila <laughs> That one after after the really long mm-hmm. um, first couple of notes kind of just goes into da 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 da. Then you'll probably in just sudden start death off, mode. You'll probably start off in sudden death overtime mode. Yeah. So it really depends on the mood, but you you can get a lot out of nice close position. Yeah. Basic. Oh, there's a step that again I know you know this because I've tried to make you learn it and you did not have a good time. But there's a um, one of those steps that's kind of in the blurred area between casino and rueda that my instructor called centavo. Yes, I remember. Yeah, struggling. So it's a closed position step. You're not you're not doing the forward and back of kind of the salsa step or even the kind of closer to casino step. If you know what abajo is, you're kind of doing abajo footwork. Excuse me. If you don't know what abajo is, I'm Look sorry. It up. Um, yeah, I'm, I can't explain it in an audio format, and I'll work on that. But so abajo is kind of a tilting angle step. So when, yeah, well, yeah, okay. So abajo is kind of a tilting angle step. And this step, which again, my instructor called centavo, I think he made it up. I think he made up the name. I've seen other people do the step, but I think he forgot what to call it and told us to call it centavo. But he called it centavo because you're kind of turning and he said, like, you're on the surface of a penny and trying to... So this is why I'm pretty sure he made up the name. But we could use it to travel, but you're turning around your partner and also traveling down a line. We used to use it a lot for choreographies. Um, and I love that step. And there are so few reasons to use it. It never comes up in socials. It's really only for choreography, but I love that step. And when I was trying to teach it for a choreography once, all of the all of the leads that I was trying to teach were like, um, can we not? Why? What did we do to you? What? Why? Why would you do this to me? Yeah, that that <laughs> that was a thought that crossed my mind. Why do you hate me? <laughs> there, there are times when I'm learning and I feel stupid and I'm having a great time because it's like, oh, my God, I'm learning. And then there are times when I'm learning and I feel stupid and I think this is impossible i'm gonna try this maybe i'm gonna go home and not dance tomorrow (laughs) i'm going to i'm gonna put on metal in the car on my way home not think about this horrible yeah although to be fair then you i showed you a video of someone else doing it a couple weeks later and you were like oh why didn't you just explain it this way (laughs) is that what you were trying to get me to do yeah i think i have to watch that that again that could have just been my bad explanation one that it reminded well once i learned this step it uh, saloneo is a it's another one where you're like you're in your you're in close position and but at the same time you're traveling with your partner line circle however you want mm. you can you can even throw in turns 
when you're doing that and it's fun and i like stuff like that i just like travel i like being led traveling you know i think you can learn fancy steps i have learned fancy steps not all of the fancy steps but i just kind of like going whoosh <laughs> that never gets old whoosh is a really fun motion mm-hmm. that's one of the really <laughs> fun things about dancing rather and so in casino miami style salsa yeah salsa cubana however you however you choose to do it whatever area yeah. of the spectrum you're on we and there's whoosh are both just good a lot times. of we and whoosh <laughs> well we're gonna wrap it up shortly thank you so much for doing this might have been a quite a time between vaccination happenings and all that scheduling this but finally made it work yeah all right thank you for having me this has yeah. been fun this is yeah. stuff i haven't talked about in a while yeah thanks for agreeing to this and listener thank you for listening we'll catch you guys next time thanks for tuning in if you have any questions or comments about our conversations or would like to appear in a future episode of the podcast send an email to dancingquestions at gmail.com our theme song is kiss and tell breezy bossa nova by keshko the photograph used in our artwork was taken by Ardian Lumi, available on Unsplash. Logo and artwork were created by Lydia Francis. Please visit our website for links and further details. Also, follow us on Instagram, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to keep up with our latest content.